Well, I heard a story this morning uh, about a man who visited his barber every Saturday. He went down there Saturday mornings for a haircut every week. And he told his barber this one particular Saturday morning, he said, I think uh, uh, I'm going to travel to Rome and I'd love to see the Pope. Well, the barber, who most of the time is kind of a grouchy, very critical guy about everything, he said, why would you want to go there? He said, that's the dirtiest city in the world. And he said, and don't fly TWA, the food is horrible, the seats are crowded. And he said, by the way, you'll never get within 100 miles of the Pope, you're just wasting your time and your money. Well, about two weeks later, the guy comes back in, says, well, I did travel to Rome. He said, I did fly TWA, the food was great. The seats were comfortable, so you were wrong on that. And he said, hey, I found uh, Rome to be a very beautiful and captivating city, so you're wrong on that. Um, he said, uh, and I not only visited the Vatican, he said, I was able to walk right up to the Pope. I knelt before him, he laid his hands on my head, and he spoke a personal word over me. By this time, the grouchy old barber is a little bit interested. He's a little bit shocked. He goes, well, what did he say? The guy looked at him and said, well, the Pope said, my son, this is the worst haircut I have ever seen. <laughs> That's a funny story about somebody that had a bad attitude, amen? Today we're going to look at a guy in the scriptures that also had a bad attitude. And I want to point out at the beginning of this message, uh, there are a couple stories that are similar in the Bible. But in the Gospel of Luke, it records this story about an unnamed lady who wept at Jesus' feet and anointed his feet with some expensive perfume. But don't confuse this with what Mary did, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, if you remember her. She anointed his feet uh, right before he was crucified. She not only anointed his feet, she anointed his head right before his death and his burial. So this story isn't that story. This story is another incident that actually took place a whole lot earlier. But when it comes to forgiveness, let me just ask you, because I'm going to be talking about grace and forgiveness today. A lot of us have a hard time understanding, genuinely understanding, how God can really forgive us. And I would imagine that many of us have times in our lives when we don't think that we're worthy to even approach God. Let me put your mind at ease. You're not. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. None of us are. But do you realize when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't look at you for who you have become. He looks at you for what you can become. Amen? Did you catch that? Not for who you have become, but for what you can become through his love, through his mercy, and through his grace. So today we're going to be talking about his amazing grace. And how it is, you've heard, his grace is sufficient. How his grace is enough for any situation that we face in life. And if you don't understand much or anything about grace, I hope by the end of this service you will. I believe Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of grace in the Gospel of Luke. It's probably one of the most gut-wrenching stories in the Bible, but it's also one of the most grace-filled stories in the Bible. We're going to be reading in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. I'll break it up. I'm not going to just read it all at one time. We're going to kind of dissect the story. But starting in verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that city who lived a sinful life, I want to stop there because when it says a woman in that city, it's not describing where she lived. When the gospel talks about a woman in the city who was a sinner, they're not saying she lived in the center of the city. A woman in that city who was a sinner is describing a prostitute. 
This woman was a prostitute. I'll get that out on the table right up front. So we have this prostitute who has heard that Jesus is going over to a Pharisee's house, a religious guy's house, to have dinner. It goes on, it says, This woman learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. An alabaster jar of perfume is a very expensive jar of perfume. So you might say, this woman crashed their party. That's what you do when you don't have an invitation. That's what you do when you don't have a ticket. That's what you do when you're desperate. And this woman was desperate. But I would imagine if you could have seen that room of religious guys, some of them, when she came in the front door, wanted to run out the back door. Some of them, whenever they saw her, wanted to crawl under the table, hoping she wouldn't recognize them as maybe some of her former customers. I'm just saying. But whatever happened, I do know this for sure. The atmosphere drastically changed the moment she walked into that room. Because once inside, she went directly to Jesus. She went directly to Jesus. So what if she was uninvited? So what if she was the only one crying? So what if she put the host and his guest in cardiac arrest? I think this woman is a woman that had tried everything else, and now she's desperate for relief. She's tried everything else. Nothing else has worked. She's heard about Jesus, maybe from the blind man that received his sight. Maybe from the deaf man that received his hearing. Maybe from the lame man that was made to walk. Maybe even from another woman of the night who got a second chance. So I'll just say, so just like people today, she had tried everything else, and now she just wanted Jesus. She, she, wanted every, she had tried everything else, now she was desperate for Jesus. Look at verse 38. As she stood behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. I get a picture of this woman weeping so uncontrollably that her tears are running everywhere. They're dripping on Jesus' dusty, dirty feet. I can imagine her embarrassment. She's almost in a panic looking around, what can I get to wipe his feet off? She doesn't have a rag, a towel, or a handkerchief. So she chooses the next best thing. She lets down her hair, her long hair, and she begins to wipe his feet. She begins to wipe the tears from his feet with her hair. And by the way, just to let you know a little bit more about women's hair, back in that day, it was called their crowning glory. So she is wiping the feet of Jesus, the dirty, dusty feet of Jesus, with her crowning glory, with her hair. But the more she wipes her feet, I'm just imagining the more she wipes her feet, the more the tears fall. The more she is weeping and she's crying so many tears that she's literally washing the feet of Jesus. Don't tell me you could have planned that out in advance. No, she's literally moved by what's in her heart. Washing the feet of Jesus. Then she begins to kiss his feet. If you break this scripture down, this verse actually includes a a verb form that actually says she does something over and over and over and over again. She repeatedly does something. She repeatedly kisses his feet. And let me just say this. There's nothing sexual going on here. There's nothing erotic going on here. There is worship going on here. There is a sincere worship by this woman from her heart, released in her tears. I'll say this woman is a self-forgetting mess. She isn't even thinking about herself. She's crying unashamedly. The tears are running down her face. She's broken before him. 
and her hair is wet with a muddy mixture of tears and dirt from his feet. But look what this religious guy thinks. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself. Did you catch that? He said to who? Himself. He said to himself. He's not talking to anyone else in that room. He's thinking to himself what I'm about to read right now. These are his thoughts. He says, if this man, being Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who, he was, who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I want to stop right there for a minute. Then I'll get into some crazy, scary stuff about Jesus. But in this story, I believe a picture is being painted. I don't know about how you read the Bible, but whenever I encounter a story in the Bible, I try to interject myself into the story. It brings it to life for me. It may not for you, but it does for me. So I can just imagine myself in that room of Pharisees and religious people looking at Jesus recline at the table. I can just imagine hearing the door latch creak. And then the spring squeak as she opens the door and she steps in and everybody looks at her with her eyes wide open. Who is this? She's not invited. I could just imagine her walking over to Jesus and being so overcome with her shame, with her guilt, being disgusted maybe with herself and seeking desperate forgiveness. I can imagine these Pharisees in a panic. I could actually imagine them actually delighting in her shame. They were delighting in her shame. Guess why? Because the worse she looked, the better they looked. The dirtier she looked, the cleaner they looked. They were considering themselves a whole lot better than she was. I would imagine they were thinking this woman has no right to be in this place. That's exactly what was happening. These guys had no intention of helping somebody that was stuck in their shame to get out of their shame. And these were the guys, the religious guys of the land. These guys were the religious leaders that I would have expected a whole lot different from. But get this picture. She's bawling her eyes out. Her hair is let down. She's wiping the feet of Jesus. And this Pharisee is saying, this man can't be a prophet. If he knew who this was or what sort of woman this is, then he wouldn't let her touch his feet because she's a sinner. This is when Jesus gets a little bit scary. Verse 40, Jesus answered him. Think about it. Nobody has said a word out loud. Nobody has said a word to anybody. No questions have been asked. But Jesus is answering questions. That's why if I'm this guy and I'm in that room, I'm going to keep my mind on a psalm. It's probably rolling over, Lord, I delight in your word. I delight in your word. I delight in your word. To keep my mind from getting me in trouble. Because Jesus knows our thoughts, our every thought. He knows the intents and thoughts of our hearts better than you do, better than I do. Look what it says in verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you, just so you don't get this mixed up with Simon Peter. This isn't Simon Peter. This is Simon the Pharisee. Simon the Pharisee says, tell me, teacher. And then Jesus goes into uh, a little story. Listen to what he says in verse 41 trying to teach this guy a lesson. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Think about this story, but think about this. To qualify for welfare, you have to admit that you're poor. 
To qualify for bankruptcy, you have to admit that you're broke. To get well, you have to admit that you're sick. From this story, I think you and I all have to agree that all of mankind, including you and me, we are the 500 denarii people in this story. We are the 500 pieces of silver debtors in this story. Because none of us, not one of us, is able to pay back the huge debt that our sin has incurred, a debt so great that it nailed Jesus to the cross. And those who realize this, I believe, come to Jesus like this woman did, not with their chest puffed out in pride, but humbly kneeling, weeping before Him. I believe that's the attitude that Jesus is looking for. And that comes out of a humble heart. That comes out of a thankful heart. That comes out of realizing you've tried everything else and now I need Jesus. I remember a friend of mine was in jail a few years ago and I went over to see him at the Tuscola jail. He was down on his luck. The entire time I was there, he kept telling me of all the mistakes that he had made. He acted like there was absolutely no hope because of his mistakes and because he had become his mistakes. Well, I listened for a long time. And finally, I had to nicely interrupt him and say, you may be on that side of the glass and I'm on this side of the glass, but my life has been filled with some disasters. My life has been filled with some regrets and mistakes too. And I said, my story isn't that pretty either. You know, just like this woman who came to Jesus, I know where I've been. I know what I've done. I know the mistakes that I've made, and I'm ashamed to stand before this church today and say I'm a sinner saved by grace, but I am. And the fact is, you are too. We are sinners saved by grace. When I became a minister 21 years ago, I remember I got licensed with the International Ministerial Association, the IMA, and they made me fill out this very detailed, extensive background on my past. That was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. Because I had to be brutally honest. I honestly thought my application would be rejected immediately as soon as it was seen. Because I thought in my heart all the time, how can I, that has sinned so much, has failed so much, ever be a minister? Those were the thoughts of my heart. I had to detail being divorced. I had to de detail uh, failed marriage. I had to detail being at the lowest point of my life. Being lonely, hurting, wounded, spiraling spiritually downward to the point where I just didn't believe Jesus would ever love me again, Jesus would ever want me again. And I made a lot of wrong choices back then. I made a lot of big sins back then. They weren't just a little white lies. They weren't just a little white sins. They were biggies. But I step back today and I look at what God has done. I look back at what He has done and all that horrible big stuff happened before he even called me into ministry. That shows me God's amazing grace because even though I had done all that and failed and sinned so much, guess what? His amazing grace and by his amazing grace still called me into ministry. Amen. So you can't tell me that Jesus will ever, excuse me, Jesus will ever give up on you because he will not. Jesus will never ever give up on you no matter how deep, how dark, how ugly your sins are. He doesn't give up on us. And actually, I thought about this. After all that I went through and failed, God gave me the best woman I could have ever been with, my wife Cheryl. We've been married 26 years. We've been in ministry together for 21 years. Ministry was never something I wanted to do. In fact, I didn't want to do this. 
But God never gave up on me. So when I say he doesn't look at what you've become, he doesn't. He looks at what you can become. God is a God of a second chance. Amen? He's a God of a second chance. He's given me a second chance. He's no respecter of persons. So He can give you a second chance if you need that today. And if you don't need it today, you will tomorrow. Amen? But how many have ever asked or ever judged someone by the degree of their sins? How many have ever done that? We've all done that, right? How many have ever judged yourself by the degree of your sin? We've all done that too. I want to go back to the story, pick it up in verse 44. Jesus' body language totally changes. Look what it says in verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon. He turns toward the woman, but he's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. He says, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And I love this part. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus is offering three things to this woman. I believe Jesus is looking right at her by this time. He's talking to her like she's the only person in the room, because I don't think Jesus cares about who else is in that room. He's looking at her like she's the only person in that room. And by the way, I believe Jesus wants to speak to a few of us today like we're the only person in the room. But verse 48, Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. So the first thing he offers is your sins are forgiven. The root of that word forgive means to release. This woman was released this woman was set free from the heavy weight of guilt and shame that she had carried for years. And in this one statement, the weight of the world, I believe, was lifted from her shoulder. Look at verse 49. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus doesn't even acknowledge that question. He goes on to verse 50. Look what he says, because he's concerned about this woman. Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. The second thing, saved by faith. And notice how Jesus puts salvation in the past tense for this woman. He doesn't say your faith will save you. He doesn't say your faith may save you. He says your faith has saved you. And then he goes to the third thing. So go in peace. Go in peace. I'm thinking, wow, what a story. Just about everything you need to know about sin, about sinners, and about grace is in this story. Think about this woman who steps into this room. She's completely devastated. She's broken, coming out of prostitution, walking with this huge weight of, of shame and humiliation all around her. So much shame that as soon as she sees Jesus, she becomes a blubbering mess. She's weeping uncontrollably, face drenched with tears, brokenness. And yet the gospel, the word of God, is so powerful. And so profound that he speaks three things to her and it changes her life. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He didn't say go in regret. He didn't say go in wish you were a different person. No, he said go in peace. I believe that peace had been a stranger to this woman all of her life. She had no clue about the peace that Jesus was talking about. But I also believe that day this woman left a changed woman. She was saved, she was forgiven, and she was given the ability to experience what real peace is in her life. 
I think the problem with Simon the Pharisee was that he thought he was a higher class sinner than this woman, if he was a sinner at all. He's thinking that at least his sins aren't the big ones. He's thinking that her sins put her way down here and my righteousness puts me way up here. He thought that this woman didn't even deserve to be in that same room with the religious people. I believe God through this story is telling you and I something that we need to be a whole lot less like the Pharisee and a whole lot more like this woman. A whole lot more like this woman that was willing to empty herself of her own self-worth, fall at his feet like the spiritual pauper she was. I believe God wants us to do the exact same thing because when we do that, guess what we're saying? Jesus, you're everything and I'm nothing. And without you, I have no hope at all. Then when just like this woman, we realize that when we get honest before God, He doesn't reject us. In fact, He reaches down, He wipes the tears from our eyes, He lifts us up and He forgives us of our sin. Then we realize just how amazing the grace I'm talking about is this morning. Just how amazing the forgiveness is this morning. You know, my foundational scripture is kind of a takeoff of verse 47 that I read, where it said, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. I kind of changed that around and said, whoever has been forgiven much loves much. That's been a foundational scripture for me to stand on because I know what I've done. I know where I've been. I know my failures. I know what God's done for me. Do you know what God's done for you? He's given me forgiveness from my past. He's made me into a new creation. The Bible says old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And guess what? I don't have to walk around in condemnation even though the failures are real. I don't have to walk in condemnation one more day because Jesus has set me free. Oh, that doesn't mean the enemy won't try to condemn you because that's his job and he tries it and he's pretty good at it. But you have to refuse it. When you get set free, you're free indeed. And because of what Jesus has done for me, I've got to say this, I think part of the reason God called me into the ministry because I was so broken. And now I can relate to people on a higher level of compassion than ever before. Because when you tell me your story, a lot of times, probably most of the time, I can say, I've been there, I've done that. And God still is an amazing God who can pull you out of your failures. When I came back to the Lord, I didn't need Christians pointing their bony finger of condemnation in my face. I didn't need Christians saying, you'll never be good enough for God to use you. And it was never God condemning me, it was other Christians. But the Bible also says none are righteous. No, not one. So that means none of us are perfect. Amen? And I love the scripture where it says, there is there now for no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I accepted Jesus and invited him back into my heart, I was living for him when I was young and I got away from him, but when I invited him back into my heart, he set me free. And I thought he was a million miles away. He wasn't. He was right there where I left him. I was the one that went a million miles away. I was the one that walked away from him. But I love what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. He says, God paid a ransom to save you from the impossible road to heaven, which your fathers tried to take. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold and silver, as you well know. But he paid for you with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. I think of the entity of the church. I think of us as the church that Jesus died for. Church is the one place on the planet that we're invited to come in and get honest about ourselves, get clean about ourselves. 
We're invited to step forward and say, hey, I've got something bent in me. I've got something broken in me. I've got something twisted in me. I've got something deformed in my spirit and my soul, and I need help. But at the same time, the church is the place that no matter where you're at in life, you're invited to come in and be loved. You're invited to come in and be accepted. And if you're looking for a fellowship of pious and self-righteous people, you're not going to find it here. Because Victory Church welcomes all people into this church. All people, no matter what they've done. Because I really honestly believe they need to realize they belong and are loved even before they believe. I believe that's how we're going to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Our Christian position ought to be to love and serve those around us, even when we don't agree with them. Amen? It's hard to do. But we need to love and show God's love to them, even if we're on opposite sides of every issue. Like if I have a neighbor living next door to me, and, and I know they're living an unbiblical lifestyle, their testimony about me ought to still be, wow, we don't, disagree, we don't agree on about anything, but that guy still loves me. That dude loves me. His family loves me. They invite us over to their house. They come over and visit with us. That ought to be our heart. We are the church. We are the bride of Christ. We're actually the invisible presence of God being visible, becoming visible to the world around us. Some people are never going to see Jesus unless it's through you. Do you realize that? He's given you and I a job to do. And the thing about the church, we're a fellowship of sinners. We're a fellowship of imperfect people. Just like this woman that had all this sin in her life. Jesus set her free. This woman that anointed his feet with her tears and with the perfume. When we live our lives like she lived our, her life and are willing to go before God, we open up our lives to this amazing grace of Jesus Christ that I'm talking about. This morning I heard a story. I want to tell you a story about a little orphan boy that was living with his grandmother. He was living with his grandmother and one night their house caught fire. He was, his bedroom was upstairs. The grandmother was trying to make her way up the stairs to rescue the little boy and she died in the flames. The little boy's cries for help were heard by a man outside and he climbed an iron pipe and broke through an upstairs window and grabbed the little boy and brought the little boy down hugging his neck. A few weeks later, there was a public hearing held to determine who would take custody of this little boy. There was a farmer showed up, there was a teacher showed up, and the richest or wealthiest man in town showed up. They all were giving reasons why they should have custody of this little boy. And while they talked and discussed their custody battle, the little boy just stared at the floor. And then all of a sudden, this man walked from the back of the room to the front of the room with his hands in his pockets. When he got to the front of the room, he pulled his hands slowly out of his pockets, revealing the scars on his hands. The crowd gasped and the boy shouted in recognition. This was the man that had saved him. This was the man that had climbed this red-hot pipe to save him and bring him down. Well, with a leap, this boy jumped into the man's arms and put his arms around the man and he wasn't about to let go. The other three... Talking about getting custody, silently and quietly walked out of the room, leaving the guy and the little boy together. It was those marred hands that settled the issue. With you and me, it's not the marred hands. It's the scarred hands. 
It's the scarred hands that settled the issue over 2,000 years ago on a place called Calvary with the scarred hands of a man named Jesus Christ that has more grace than you could ever imagine, has more love for you than you could ever imagine or beyond your imagination, that He loves you. He loves every one of us the same. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, I am so thankful that I have a God like that or I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't even have survived this far the way I was going in life. But because I have a God that saw potential in me. I have a God that saw good in me when there really wasn't much good in me. He's that kind of God. This morning, God's grace for us is truly amazing. And He doesn't see you for what you have become. He sees you for what you can become. Through His grace, through His Love and through His mercy. Could you stand to your feet this morning? When God called me into the ministry, I fought Him, and I fought Him, and I fought Him. And I said, God, you can't use a man that has messed up as much as I have. And only I and him know how bad that was. But you know, God loved me enough to see beyond my faults. I want someone to hear in this place, and maybe several someones to hear in this place. God loves you. God hasn't given up on you, and I promise you, He never will give up on you. It doesn't matter what your past was. It doesn't matter your failures. It doesn't matter your sins, no matter how big you think they are. I don't believe God looks at our sins and weighs them out. Little sin, big sin, medium sin, no. I believe He sees us for what we can become through His grace, through His love, and through His mercy. So if you've thought about giving up on yourself, don't. And if you've thought about giving up on a loved one, don't. Because I promise you today with all of my heart, Jesus will never give up. Could you bow your hearts in prayer? Father God, I thank You for Your scarred hands. The hands of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that have settled this issue once and for all. Through the cross, Lord God, you have loved us with a love that we can't even imagine. You've given us a grace that goes beyond amazing. Words can't even describe the grace. Lord, I pray that you would move our hearts, humble our hearts before you to help us to be more like this woman today, to get desperate for you like we've never gotten desperate for you before, and to realize that we're nothing and you're everything. Lord, I pray that you would help us to cherish this precious gift of amazing grace that you have given every one of us. And not just to cherish it for ourselves, but to share it with others. Every day that you give us to live upon this earth, we pray that we would share your love, mercy, and your grace with those around us. I thank you, Lord God, right now for the miracles that you've done in this room in hearts and minds. I thank you, Lord God, for restoring peace in hearts that were confused, hearts that were uh, ready to give up. And I thank you, Lord God, that you're a God that never gives up. Help us, Lord God, to have a continued faithful relationship with you today and forever. I give you thanks for your amazing grace today. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Go in, God, and show his amazing grace to the world around you. Bless you all.